Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural businesses across England and Wales. With the UK's growing interest in sustainability and the exit from the common agricultural policy, there's been an increase of representation of farming in the mainstream media. Many debates are now taking place online, such as how to sustainably produce healthy foods, the steps to take to improve the environment, how to improve animal health and welfare, and how to reduce carbon emissions. While young farmers are using social media's power to facilitate discussion and share what it's like to work in agriculture, are these conversations bridging the gap between rural and urban communities. In this episode, we're joined by CLA Director of External Affairs, Jonathan Roberts, and Chief Reporter at the Farmer's Guardian, Abby Kay, who will delve into what this increase in representation means for the future of farming. Well, welcome, Jonathan and Abby. Great to have you both uh, joining us on this podcast. To start, um, let's have some introductions. Uh, Jonathan, if I can start with you, tell us a bit about your background and your role with the CLA. Thank you. Well, I I joined the CLA about two and a half years ago. I'd spent around 10 years working in the shipping and port sector, doing external affairs for membership associations in those uh, business areas. And before that, I'd worked in the European Parliament and and Westminster for for several years. Um, But uh, when the role came up at the CLA, it was too good an opportunity to dismiss, really. I'm from the countryside. I'm from both uh, rural North Yorkshire and rural North Wales. Uh, and farming's in my blood. So so here I am and enjoying it very much and making a huge amount of progress, we think, uh, for the good of our members. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Abby, over to you. Tell us a bit about your background and the nature of your work with uh, the Farmer's Guardian. So I've been Chief Porter at Farmer's Guardian for just over five years now, um, where I specialise in agricultural politics, uh, right about all things news related, but agricultural politics is my my bag, if you like. Um, That's probably because before I started working at Farmer's Guardian, um, I worked in Parliament for five years, and then I worked in the NFU as Government and Parliamentary Affairs Advisor. So that is very much my background, similar to Jonathan, I suppose, in some ways. Um, In terms of how I got into rural policy, um, when I grew up on a dairy farm, my granddad was a dairy farmer, and then I went away and didn't really think about farming too much, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, when I started working in Parliament, though, I worked for a um, MP who represented a really rural seat. So I started doing quite a lot of work on rural policy, on the common agricultural policy. And weirdly enough, I am one of the very few people that found that completely fascinating and uh, wanted to carry on doing that. So when I saw the job come up at the NFU, I decided I would go for it and it sort of spurned from there, I suppose. I just um, really love agriculture now, um, agricultural policy in particular. I just find it completely fascinating. And now is quite an exciting time to be covering that. And there's no shortage of content, I'm sure, Abby, of stuff going on for you to cover because um, obviously with the exit from the European Union, there's a whole host of new policies being developed and you've got devolution as an added layer on, on top of that again with, with different policies being developed in the all for devolved nations. So so plenty going on about And, and Jonathan, um, 
with all the policies being developed, do, do you think that's increased public interest in farming or and land use? I think what has happened over the last few years is that people have if you take the politics out of it for a second take all the kind of everybody having a go at each other what you've got is essentially a reset we've got the opportunity now to look at everything that we've done well and how can we build on that and what what changes do we need to make as well Uh, now People are interested in where their food comes from. People are interested in climate change. People are interested in uh, prosperity and economic growth. Um, and, and all of those things kind of combined are areas where we excel. And so the public interest gives us the opportunity to sell our story and tell our story in the way that perhaps we haven't done before. So everything has been shoved to the front of the queue and we have to make sure that we take that opportunity now because we might not get another one again. Abby, do you agree with that? Now is an, a golden opportunity to, to sell the virtues of farming. I would agree with everything Jonathan said, yeah, and I would just add to that the fact that farming didn't really get a fair hearing in the press before. I don't personally think when we were members of the EU. Um, so I know I, I did European politics for my master's degree and um the European Union is, is quite difficult to cover from a journalistic perspective. So there's a complex relationship between the Commission and the Parliament and member states. And there's very little transparency in policymaking, actually. And the documents that are published are, tend to be quite hard to find. And I just think that our journalistic setup, where we have lobby journalists who are focused on Westminster, probably struggled a little bit with that. But now farming's getting more coverage because it's being handled by a system that our reporters are familiar with and they have a a good understanding of. So if you look back at cap negotiations a few years ago, they could rumble on for months, for years, with very little acknowledgement outside of the trade press. But now you see the way farming policy is being developed and you see that there's massive interest in it. And I think that can only be a good thing for farming. Yeah, bring the discussions home. You know, when I remember when I was working in the European Parliament, you know, important things were being discussed, but there was absolutely no scrutiny whatsoever at a public level from a journalistic point of view. There were virtually no press conferences. Uh, Any time a journalist was allowed anywhere near a decision maker, it was only on the basis of controlled questions. And as a result, nobody really got to see how they were being governed. And that's completely different now. And I think the, the, the more we're able to discuss these things, particularly if, we do it, if we're able to do it in a sensible, grown-up way, not like you sometimes get on social media. But if we can do it sensibly, we can get more scrutiny, we can have more say as ordinary farmers, we can have you know, more input into how we're governed. And somewhere down the line, we'll end up with better policymaking. Now, I know things are difficult at the minute because we're transitioning from one very complicated system to another that may also seem very complicated that's you know, in England and Wales is soon to follow but I'm seeing already organizations such as the CLA having so much more impact and having so much more input on behalf of our members into policy making than we ever could have done before. I just think as, as members of the European Union you know all the different member states came to the cap negotiations with their own agendas and their own political positions that we in the UK perhaps didn't really understand very well so as Jonathan says it's just it's just so much easier to have that 
concentrated here where people really know the backstory and they know the context. It just makes life a lot easier from a journalistic perspective as well. And and Abby, to what extent do you think programmes such as Clarkson's Farm has helped um, viewers understand farming and possibly improve its image, but but more importantly, understand the challenges that farmers face? I am the biggest advocate for Clarkson's Farm you will ever find. I just thought it was unbelievably good TV and it was so accessible to people outside the industry. You know, it was just, it's quite unique in that it really showed the hard work that goes into producing food, the love and the care that goes into rearing animals. There was a real emotional connection, you know, between Clarkson and Caleb and the animals on the farm. Um, the Red Tractor Rod episode, that was fantastic at showing the kind of standards that farmers have to produce to, the levels that they have to go to to make sure things are done above board. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the ending of the first series where Clarkson talks about the profit that he's made it just it shows everything that he's done in that series up to that point and all the hard work that's gone in and he gets that tiny reward at, at the end of it. And I just think in that respect, it was really unique in the way that it put farming across as as an industry and, and kind of everybody who watched it has said it really made them think about farming in a different way. It made them appreciate what farmers do. And um, I saw some people on Twitter saying, you know, in the past, if I was driving behind a tractor on a road, I would have been beeping, I would have been getting angry and trying to overtake. But having seen Clarkson's farm now, I realise that they're doing a hard job and that they've got deadlines to work to and I'll, I'll wait patiently behind them. So, yeah, I just think it's been fantastic. And Jonathan, I can see you're nodding to that. Do you agree? I, I, we might have this embarrassment where Abby and I agree on everything. There's, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot out there on the TV about the countryside in one way or another. And I think there's often maybe a feeling that the core audiences of those shows might be people who already have a lot of experience and understanding of the countryside or interest in the countryside. But I think what Jeremy Clarkson's done is he's brought his audience, which is massive, to the countryside. And what are they being taught? They're being taught that farming's really hard, that it can be hard to turn a profit, as Abby says. Uh, it's often very technical. It's often very bureaucratic. There's a risk at every turn, but it's a, it's about hard work. But you know, it's also about friendship. It's about community. But you know, I I, I had so many texts from friends who were saying, you know, "Blimey, I didn't realise it was like this. I didn't realise it was so hard." Um, so, from a public information point of view, from a public education point of view, it's just been utterly invaluable. And and yeah, it's it's incredible the the impact it's had, and that they're filming a second series, which will be fascinating to see how how it develops. But is Clarkson Farm an exception? Would you say the majority of TV shows don't aren't aren't successful in portraying the true true image of farming? Would you, would you say, Jonathan? Yeah, maybe. But you know, I mean, I'm from Thirsk in in North Yorkshire which is the home of James Herriot and All Creatures Great and Small and so on. And I remember growing up and people would come from all over the world, really, to visit the area. And they would particularly come from cities, as I remember. And there'd been you know, something in those books that they'd seen in the TV shows and the films as well. They had introduced them to the challenges and the rewards of rural life. And they've revived the show. It's on Channel 5 again at the moment and the tourists are coming back to Thirsk and I mean that's just a great thing as far as I'm concerned but what matters I think 
is that we need people to know where their food comes from. We need people to understand that farming is hard. It's backbreaking. It can be stressful. It can be dangerous sometimes getting food on your plate. So by generating public interest, we can then help generate public understanding so that they understand why it's important to buy British. They understand why our environmental and animal welfare standards are so high. Um, they understand why we need farmers in the first place. So you know, we can have all the press releases and leaflets and websites in the world, but there's no vehicle to get those messages out there quite like TV. Uh, what's your take on that, Abby? So second series is coming. Um, I'm excited about that because I think uh, the British Farming Awards might be in it. So the British Farming Awards obviously run by Farmers Guardian. Uh, Clarkson and Caleb won the Flying the Flag for British Agriculture Award and a load of Amazon reporters descended on the place. They had cameras everywhere. Um, so you might well see uh, my boss, Olivia Midgley, on the next series. So quite excited about that. Um, in terms of what, what I think Clarkson's done differently and how it compares to other TV shows, for me, the other, the other shows that I've saw, seen, they've been coming at it from the educational angle. Um, so as Jonathan says, it's almost as though they're expecting their viewers to have a certain level of knowledge or a certain level of interest. Um, then there's a couple maybe that are going for the entertainment angle. So I don't know if any of you have seen Celebs on the Farm. Um, it's not really one that I would recommend, uh, but I just think the target audience is, is completely different to what you might get for, say, this farming life. It seems as though they're going after the sort of young adult market, people who want to see celebrities put in ridiculous positions, but the educational value of it is is slim to none. Um, and I just think Clarkson's Farm, it really hit that sweet spot where it, it was the perfect balance of education and entertainment. And that's what really made it stand out for me as, as, as a piece of farming TV. Yeah, and it had, it had such a broad appeal. And I'm sure it was a bit risky. I, you know, a lot of people, including myself, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when, when starting watching it. And I sort of, I really grew into the series and more episodes I watched. And then reflecting back on it, there was parts of it was quite deeply emotional as well, because you, you really understand the cut and thrust of, of, of what farmers face with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but, you know, there are other people, other high-profile celebrities taking an interest in the country side we've heard of Ed Sheeran and his plans for, for, for buying land for rewilding purposes. Abby, how, how does that make you feel? Rewilding is a very, very controversial debate at the moment, particularly within farming circles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it's always exciting to see the countryside in the news because it's an opportunity for people to discuss and to learn about the issues that we all hold dear, the people who are talking about them every day. Um, but this Ed Sheeran story, that, that concerned me a little bit because from what I understand, he was talking about buying up land to um, plant it with trees to reduce his carbon emissions that he creates when he goes out touring. Um, and I just don't necessarily think that he's coming at that from an angle where he understands the implications. Um, so there's a real possibility that doing that, buying up this land to plant trees, it will push up the value of land, it will shunt farmers off it, it could cut domestic food production, and it could even actually fail to reduce emissions, you know, if you're going to go and plant up a load of, of grassland with um, trees. So I just think there needs to be more considered discussion around this. But at the end of the day, he's a private individual, he can spend his money on what he wants, but it would be nice to see 
people in the industry reaching out to him to have a conversation about whether or not this is the best way forward. And Jonathan, does this present an opportunity to, to start that discussion in a constructive way? If, if there is a high profile person showing interest in, in land and land use, is that is that then the opportunity to, to get the message out to, to, to his following? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. What, what he probably needs is a really good la- land agent to show him the ropes, you know, help him to help him to achieve some of the environmental goals that he seeks without doing any of the harm in the process. And he's an influential guy. Uh, a lot of people hang on his every word. We just need to ensure he knows his responsibilities as a landowner uh, and, and that he can help communicate some of those lessons to the wider population, particularly on the nuances and the subtleties of conservation. But, you know, I'm not really a big fan of offsetting. His tool will be you know, carbon expensive. You look at Coldplay, for example, what they've actually done is to decarbonize their tour. They've put everything on electric vehicles, for example. So uh, not the biggest fan of, uh, of offsetting. Well, I think w- w- what concerns me is that fashionable causes, particularly when celebrities with money to burn get involved with them, can often have some unintended consequences. And I think rewilding can be an important part of the the land use mix is a real potential for it in areas with very poor agricultural land. But the problem is that Ed Sheeran's in Suffolk with fantastic agricultural land. You you buy tens of thousands of acres of good productive land, you take it out of food production, then you're harming our ability to feed ourselves. You're increasing our reliance on imports, uh, potentially exporting environmental damage. And even helping to push prices up. Abby was referring to it a moment ago. So when you've got a celebrity winning plaudits among the uninitiated for conservation work, but actually having negative impacts, you've got to be a little bit concerned. And I don't think that Ed Sheeran wants to have those negative impacts. He seems like a good guy. His heart's in the right place. He just needs good advice from people who know what they're talking about. He should join the CLA. <laughs> he might be on the next podcast. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, but Abby, hearing that, how, how as an industry do you think we should be responding to, to, to situations like that? How, how do we start to try and counter um, some of the information or misinformation that sometimes we shared and just try and try and bring a bit more balance to the debate and, and give people the full picture. As, as Jonathan said, some actions have unintended consequences, be them social or, or, or on fruit production. We, we need to have balance in these discussions. And, and how as an industry can you try and be on the front foot without appearing to be um, reactive or reacting to, to, to other news stories? It's a really good question. Um, I actually think there's quite a lot being done already in the industry to combat some of these myths that are growing up around um veganism for example or climate change as we've been discussing um sustainability all those kind of things i mean i know that um there are some farming groups who are doing producing myth busting documents um even the agriculture and horticulture development board they're running some big campaigns you know about the importance of eating a balanced diet um the importance of meat to a healthy diet the importance of dairy to a healthy diet um, and they're doing other work in challenging misleading adverts as well. Any adverts that are putting forward this idea that um, plant-based is the most healthy and the most sustainable, AHDB is pushing back on that. And I think that's really welcome. Um, in terms of what we're doing in the media, um, Farmers Guardian runs some 
consumer facing campaigns. So we've got things like Farm 24, I'm sure a lot of people will, hear, will have heard of, where we encourage farmers to share what they're doing on a particular day um, and tell, tell the consumers how their food is being produced. Um, we've got Farming Can as well, which talks about all the things that farming can deliver for um, food production, for landscapes, for um, reducing emissions, everything like that. And um, we've also got a campaign called This Is Agriculture, which is really outward looking, trying to bring people into the industry to work. Um, so showing all the opportunities that there are in this industry um, in terms of jobs. So there are things that can be done and that are being done. And I think um, we're actually doing quite quite a good job of that at the moment. And Jonathan, what's your take on the success of, of campaigns? Like like Abby has listed a number there and you've got February Dairy and Open Farm Sunday. There's, there's a lot more uh, of, of those initiatives around now than what there were 10 years ago, for, for example. Yeah, I think there's a, a, an increasing understanding in the farming community that we need to be better at... Um, uh, community engagement and you've heard some examples there there are so many examples you go up and down the country there are there are uh, farmers and landowners that are uh, engaging with their community and i think that's probably the answer to this uh, when we allow debates to rage on social media so social media particularly twitter which is just you know a spill of a cesspit as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I came off it personally a few years ago and have felt much happier in life ever since. The, the, it, it's quite a sort of left-wing domain. It's where, you, it's where people who wear their heart on their sleeves go to really talk about the causes that they say that they care about but don't necessarily know a huge amount of, about. Now, some of those people, they're ideologues. You will never de defeat them. You will never change their mind in reason debate but what you can do is try to stop them influencing people who are going onto those platforms perfectly innocently wanting to know more information wanting to make reasonable choices about their own consumption and their own environmental impact you can stop that sort of exposure to some of those um those myths by local engagement and I always remember when the first people I met when I joined the CLA a few years ago, he was talking to me about um, how he used to get letters all the time. Whenever he was out on his uh, a farm doing any kind of, um, a sort of basic forestry management, you know, th thinning some woodland, he would always get letters from the local community saying, I think it's outrageous what you're doing with those beautiful trees. When he started engaging with the community more, he started writing a little article for the parish magazine. Uh, he started having open days. He just started being a bit more vocal with local groups about what he was doing, why he was doing it. Then not only did those letters of complaint stop, but he started getting volunteers. He started getting people actively supporting what he was doing. So I don't think we'll win particularly many of those debates that rage on social media but if we can all take a little bit of uh, initiative ourselves to engage locally we can probably reach far more people than we ever could on on, on twitter for members cla insurance are more than just a broker we are trusted advisors, providing the highest level of service and value for money for farm, land and estate, home, motor as well as business, legal expenses and trustee indemnity insurance. Contact the CLA insurance team today on 01234 230 295. 
or visit www.clainsurance.co.uk for a no-obligation quotation. Social media has made it very easy for for farmers and individuals to engage, and we've heard of, of Twitter there from, from Jonathan. And there's there's a number of different platforms increasingly being used, Instagram and TikTok. Even are there people on social media you think are really good at getting the message out to a broader audience? So who who are the type of people you you follow and admire on social media, Abby? There are some yes, yeah, some people that I really admire on social media that are great at getting the message out um people like joe stanley um who works for the game and wildlife conservation trust now um people like tom clark uh he's a farmer down uh on the fence um he did a really good uh tweet thread about the sugar industry maybe i think it was around summertime last year um, and that got loads of engagement because to be honest a lot of people probably don't even know that we produce sugar in this country. Um, and it was just really inform- informative, um, explanatory, explained a little bit about the politics behind it as well. Um, so he's definitely one. People like the Red Shepherdess. Um, there's there's actually, there's loads of people who are doing great things on social media. Um, but it is a lot of them, I would say, are probably just speaking to an audience inside farming, but there are those few who do manage to break out and get that get that wider engagement. But it's it's a difficult thing to do because you are by nature inclined to follow the people who are interested in what you're interested in. Um, and the algorithms encourage that as well. The more content that you look at about a particular thing, um, the more you'll get shown about that particular thing. And also, almost forgot to say, Will Evans, who does um, or did the Rock and Roll Farming podcast, he's great. So it's not just on social media, it's those other platforms as well, people doing podcasts, that kind of stuff. There's, there's loads of opportunity for engagement. Uh, and we've seen examples, Abby, haven't we, of, of many farmers uh, choosing to, to engage and, and sometimes being drawn into debates that have gone a bit um, difficult and uh, unpleasant at times. And you mentioned Will there. Will has publicly taken time off Twitter in the past because it's um, it, it hasn't been pleasant for, for him. So is it sometimes a bit of a risk to, to engage on social media? And you've got to be prepared and have you know quite thick skin. Yeah, I would say it probably is. I mean, you're always going to get those people on our Farm 24 campaign. We have um, a lot of vegans hijacking the hashtag, um, posting untrue things about the dairy industry. And for us working for an organisation, you feel supported in a way that perhaps if you were an individual um, just putting, putting out what you do, you might feel more vulnerable. I completely get that. And I think that people should protect their own mental health at all costs. You know, if there's, if being on social media feels toxic for you, if you feel that you're getting abused, then maybe take the decision to step away from it. Um, It's not, it's, if it's affecting you in a negative way, you shouldn't necessarily see it as just your job to make sure that you're putting those messages out there. But social media does allow you some tools to, 
minimize that kind of abuse. So I would say if there are people who are giving you grief or there's a particular thing that you don't want to see, you could just mute that option. So you could mute the option to see the word or you could mute the person who's giving you abuse. So there are some options to minimize that if that's what you feel you need to do. Uh, And Jonathan, the beauty of engaging with social media as an individual is you've got a degree of freedom as to when you engage, how you engage and and the messaging that you you release. Managing a social media account on behalf of a large membership organization is a completely different kettle of fish. You've got to um, think about the messaging from from the perspective of representing your members. Does that make it harder or, 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 or easier sometimes in, in, in engaging? I think funnily enough, it almost makes it, makes it easier because inherently there's, you know, there's word limits. There's, there's a word count that you can't go beyond quite often, but particularly on Twitter, where it forces you to really look at what our adopted policies are and how do we distill them down. But I think where, where where we can succeed in using social media is short, sharp facts that help to dismiss some of the the myths and help help make people make more informed choices. The, The one I always come back to is that British beef has half the emissions of the global average. So straight away, if you're wanting to minimize your, um, your, 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 your greenhouse gas emissions in your diet, you can buy British. You make sure that you don't buy beef from any other country. And you, these little facts, you put that out on social media, then people will start saying, well, why is that the case? That Then you can start having a conversation about, you know, about pasture, for example. You can start talking about your know, best management practices but what what it is that we do in this country that other countries don't what is it is it about our farming sector that you can trust and i do get nervous you know when we uh, sit and watch netflix and you see these documentaries they're often produced by american uh, companies they're producing their documentaries with americanized data or sometimes global data that simply doesn't reflect british farming and so when everybody watches those programs here, they sit around the dining table, they sit in the pub with their friends, they're talking about this stuff, and they're regaling, almost regurgitating data that is being used to influence their own decisions, their own consumption habits, but it's wrong. It's based on incorrect data that doesn't apply to us. And those sort of nuances, we need to make sure that we're getting out there on social media and through lots of other vehicles as well. I would disagree with Jonathan on it being easier to use social media on behalf of of an organisation, just because I think what makes someone interesting to follow on social media is their personality, their opinion, um, it, them being a little, them having something a little bit different to say, and as an organisation that represents people, or as an organisation that has a sort of corporate identity, that's actually quite a difficult thing to do. It's a it's a difficult balancing act to show that you've got personality, but to never engage on anything controversial, and to always make sure that um, any opinions are quite. <laughs> not bland but um just not not as exciting yeah as perhaps they might be if you were an individual so yeah i i certainly find it easier to to manage my own personal social media because although i'm always careful about what i would post and i 
and I don't say anything, you know, absolutely ridiculous, I still think it allows you an element of freedom that you don't get if you're managing a different kind of social media account. And coming back to, to Jonathan's earlier point about information, data and facts, where where do you go as a journalist? Where do you go to get accurate, um, justifiable facts that you can rely on? Because there's a lot of undermining of, of data, particularly around farming, because there's there's different ways in which you can interpret things. If, you, if you're going to be uh, on the front foot and engage publicly on matters you you know getting the, the absolutely correct facts is is fundamental mm. it it very much depends on the story to be honest i mean it might be that we go to um academics who have written a particular paper um it might be that we go to different farming groups who we know have done extensive research into a political issue it might be that we go to a government body um, there are lots of different ways that you can get that information, but if it is contested in any way, we will always make that clear in the story. Um, so there's a particular issue around um, how you measure emissions and the role of methane in global warming. Um, we've been very careful to make sure that we've expressed both sides of that argument um, and allow readers to make up their own mind because at the end of the day, some of this stuff is still hotly contested. And and Jonathan, what do you think are going to be the main areas of messaging and communication that you as a CLA are going to focus on for, for, for this year? Or what's the type of media coverage you'd like to see more of going forward in 2022? So, of, of course, I expect the transition uh, in England and also the beginning of the conversation about what happens next for farming in Wales to really dominate us. But I think for me, one of the most vital things we've got coming up is is levelling up. We've got the uh, UK government's white paper that's fairly imminent. And we've been lobbying exceptionally hard in recent weeks and months just to get government to understand really the potential of the of, of the rural economy. We know that the rural economy is about 18% less productive than the national average. If you close that gap, it's worth about £43 billion to the economy employing the creation of lots and lots of really good jobs. Now, what we need is government to recognize the value in that, the, 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 to stop treating the government, to, to, to stop treating the countryside as a museum and start having some ambition for the rural economy, start having some ambition for its uh, people so that they can have the opportunity, they can have the prosperity, they can have the good job, they can have the nice house uh, that they can afford to live in, and, and and that they can build a community together and strengthen their community where the, the pub stays open, the church stays open, the shop stays open, uh, the school stays open. And that for me is what levelling up is about. And we have to scream and shout that the countryside has every right to take part in the government's levelling up agenda. So I think, you know, we, we've got the, the white paper coming out imminently. There's lots of other work that the CLA has been doing um, with various announcements we could be making in weeks and months ahead to chime in with that. And, and I think, really, the countryside now has to really find its voice because we might not get another opportunity again. You know, government's been talking for some time you know, Boris Johnson's government has been talking about leveling up Theresa May was talking about a country that works for all uh, David Cameron's government was talking about you know, the big society it's all the, it's all the same stuff 
and we know as people who live in and, and, and work in the countryside that there is you know, tremendous potential for the countryside. At the moment, I don't believe we've got a government that recognises that potential, let alone have the ambition to realise it. And that's the big challenge, I think, that we're facing as the CLA, but also as a, as a, as a rural community as a whole. And from uh, your perspective, Abby, uh, writing uh, for the Farmer's Guardian, what do you think are going to be the main articles and headlines that's going to be going to feature on your publication uh, this year? Well, I don't think it will come as any surprise Um that you would expect me to say, I'm going to continue to hold the government to account. Um, I don't, I can't predict what the future will hold, but um, that is a very important part of my job. It's something that I take very seriously. And I constantly hear from other farming organisations how important that job is. Um, so I was in a meeting with another group earlier this week. Um, they thanked me for writing a front page story about a particular issue, which then got them a meeting with um, the deaf minister. And they said to me, you know, we really don't want you to underestimate the importance of what you do in bringing these issues um, to your readers' attention, because it does shift the dial. It does get the government to sit up and take notice. Um, so you would expect me to say that. Um, I think it's also really important, though, to make sure that we're not just giving farmers uh, a diet of completely negative information so when we're looking to put a magazine together we'll always make sure that things aren't too much doom and gloom um that perhaps we're not just feeding farmers this completely negative news cycle um and that's why we have things in our magazine so we have um a feature called backbone of britain that looks at the characters in farming and what makes them tick um, we have, you know, farming matters where we speak to where farmers write individual things for us about what's going on on their farm. Um, we try to make sure that we're giving farmers some some positive things to think about as well. And I think that's really important in this time of uncertainty where farmers aren't sure about the future, that they have something positive to hold on to as well. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. Optimism uh, in, in reporting is, is really key, isn't it, to, to drive the morale within the industry. And it's, it's good to see that happening. Well, Jonathan and Abby, it's been absolutely fascinating to spend uh, the last half an hour or so with you. Talking about farming in the media, all of us are looking forward to the next series of Clarkson's Farm and many other programmes on TV and indeed following the developments uh, on social media. But uh, on behalf of the CLA, thank you very much both of you uh, for taking part in this podcast. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you very much. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.